and welcome to Talking Schmidt. I'm your host, Eric Schmidt. And I'm Greg Burmeister. And today we have a, a spectacular guest with us. Uh, it's, our, it's our friend and owner of uh, one of our favorite bars in town. Uh, his name is Gary Embry. Welcome, Gary. Thank you for being here. Former musician as well. We're going to get to all of this. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I had a, I had a crazy thing happen to me yesterday. Normally, we don't do this. but I'm, I'm gonna, I, Okay. <laughs> so, yesterday, I was in uh, Candlewood Lake up in uh, up in uh, Connecticut uh, with some friends, uh, Tom and Olivia, lovely, lovely couple. Uh, they had us up, and I was swimming in the lake, and a fish bit me on the nipple. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which one? Uh, right, right nipple. Still a little tender. Still a little sore. It, I was like, I was on the ladder to get you know out of the water, and I actually I stopped to to pee a little, uh, you know, to get to, to have a have a piss before I got out of the water. And uh, while I was standing there peeing, this I just felt like a right on there, and it like teeth. <laughs> teeth yeah oh, it almost broke shit. the skin i mean i would show you guys but this is an audio medium so i mean it wouldn't do anyone really that much good but maybe after we record fellas i'll yeah, let you damn, guys it was take like a, a piranha or something i don't know what the fuck it was but it had teeth for sure and uh it didn't draw blood but it's like it's still it's still sore so anyway it must be the whiskey blood you have. yeah <laughs> it's the whiskey, whiskey's like the hashtag whiskey blood <laughs> have you ever been bitten by a fish anywhere no okay well one bit my thumb right before that happened like but it, it that one I could tell didn't have teeth. It just was like a, I just felt a little mouth around my thumb that was in the water, and I was like, "What the hell?" Yeah, I've had when I lived in, in Minnesota, we'd go out on the lakes and a little sunfish would yeah. like snip at you, but they didn't have teeth. Yeah, so. this the, well, the second bastard had I teeth. I think I would lose my shit. <laughs> yeah, I got bit by a fish. Well, I, I got mean, the hell out of I'm there. Fucking out of here. Yeah, I got the hell out. I didn't get back in. Uh, More whiskey. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna focus on drinking for the remainder of the afternoon. Uh, Gary, thank you for being here. Uh, it's great to have you. Uh, um, let me tell you how I discovered your bar real quick. I was uh, working at The Good Fight in the accounting department there, uh, which is the spinoff of The Good Wife, the television show. Right on. And I, uh, uh, you know, appointed myself a uh, person to find the bar we would go to after work on Fridays or Thursdays or hell, you know, any other oh, Monday, day. Yeah, it didn't matter. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I was looking up, I just looked up bars on Yelp and uh, yours came up five stars. Now Ooh. that's that's impossible in New York because yeah. everyone's such a picky idiot jerk that like you know they find something to complain about and there were like a few four star reviews but you still had an average of five yep. and there were like two four star reviews and you responded to each one and they were glowing reviews they were like this place is great but they're just the kind of asshole to still they're like well, nothing really gets five stars <laughs> but you you like reply to them and you're like hey you know next time I, I, I there must have been something that wasn't like 100% next time you're in like ask for me let me know you know I'll get you a drink or something I mean I don't want to encourage people now to go write four stars just to get a free drink, True. but like you, don't you, be two stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to really care a lot. And I was like, man, we got to go try this place, yeah. and we did. And you were there that night. And you were so nice to me. I thought you were screwing with me. I was like, because <laughs> in New York, like if you're in New York long enough, you learn that like people are that nice to you. Like there's there's something coming. They're gonna like try to. Yeah. They're gonna. There's they're an gonna, angle. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's seriously. an angle there. There, there hasn't. There's. I've known you for a while. There's still. There's never been an angle. So thank you for running one of Thanks, my favorite man. bars. Thanks for the kind words. Oh yeah, of course, man. Thank you for being. Here here again uh so how did you get started in like wh what made you decide to open a bar because did you have a background in it? did you work in bars at all no well, i played played in a ton of bars with the band okay so i saw a lot of really um 
good bars. Actually, I saw a lot more shitty bars. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. fair enough. You know, <laughs> yeah. saw some really shitty bars, some good bars. And then in my prior So that career, was your bar experience, was it, drinking in bars. Drinking in bars, <laughs> playing in bars, getting paid in bars, there causing riots in bars. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I went to work for Best Buy, you know, I had a retail career prior. Yeah, yeah well, City, we're, we're going to get to Best gonna Buy. Get, yeah, 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 we're going to get to all of volunteered a lot of shit for Best Buy. Anything that involved music, I would, would volunteer to do. So I got to kind of be around some back end of the bars from that side of the business, mm-hmm. from the music side, right? Not necessarily playing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had, had you you had a career in music, yeah. uh, which we're we're, we're going to go back to. Uh, but I just wanted to start with the bar stuff because yeah. there was some stuff we that I wanted. We sponsored some bars at Best Buy. Oh really? And so the, yeah, we did concert mm-hmm. venues and stuff. So when the opportunity came to leave my career, I took it. Yeah. And I wanted to open up my own business. Um, it's definitely That's an art because yeah. you you were an artist uh, as a musician, and I I see like it's clearly crafted your bar is clearly crafted by an artist from like the selection of whiskey that you have the cocktails that you have I have a little bit of a whiskey problem yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the lighting in there the jukebox that hell even the, even the bathroom is nice yeah. you know it's, it's like the cleanest and it's just nice in there the, the music's amazing yeah, every music's time I'm amazing. there we picked good everything out my wife was a big part of it and we decided we wanted to open a bar that we would want to hang out in. I know people say that shit all the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we really wanted to do that. And one of the things that pissed me off about New York bars. So when I wasn't working at Best Buy dressed in my corporate shit, I'd be dressed like this, my yeah. sleep whiskey shirt or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'd end up in these amazing whiskey bars. I'm talking like renowned whiskey bars. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't look like you had a ton of money, they would, treat you kind of shitty okay uh, i felt like you'd go in these places these white glove establishments and they would kind of size you up and uh we wanted to open up a place where it's like everyone got treated great yeah i appreciate people spending their money there which i do yeah it, it matters mm-hmm. to me you chose you chose to find me yeah fucking means a lot to me man oh yeah i remember you know? i also found the new york times article about you guys too yeah. and i was like well this place this is- yeah we bugged the <laughs> shit yeah. out of her until she just wrote something about us <laughs> She's like a fam- historic, famous New York Times writer. I think we just, I think we just pestered the shit out of her. She finally surrendered. It's like, I was going to come write a fucking article on him. We'll give you a bottle of whiskey. Come on. Yeah, it, it, it matters. You know what I mean? That's yeah. how I got into business. And I wanted to open up my own business. What what I, what I could I do that I loved? It was whiskey. Obsessed with whiskey. Music. Mm-hmm. Great beer. Yeah. That's how it came about. How many whiskeys do you guys have? Around 160 right now. Okay. Pre-COVID, I was up to about 240. Holy wow. cow. And uh, 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 really bad business planning. <laughs> <laughs> COVID, the only good thing that came out of COVID is it forced me to reduce my SKU count by like 70 or 80 whiskeys. Okay. I, I had nothing to do. It was sitting in my bar and drink my own beer by myself with my dog yeah. Yeah, and yeah, think yeah. about what the fuck are we going to do now? And I remember pulling a sell sheet and it's like, we have like 70 whiskeys no one's bought. But me. <laughs> Drake, but me. No. You should just get rid of them. That's yeah. all right. Glad, glad you survived that era. Well, yeah. you know? Glad you're back. Uh, what are some of your favorites? What are some of your favorite whiskeys? In my wheelhouse is anything kind of made by Buffalo Trace. Yeah. So I Buffalo Trace uses a little bit more wheat in, in their mash bill or recipe. Mm-hmm. So I tend to, that tends to be my wheelhouse. That would be Weller, E.H. Mm-hmm. Teller, E.E.H. Taylor, um, their standard Buffalo Trace whiskey, Elmer Tilly, of course, Pappy Van Winkle, which uh, oh, yeah. is just... Yeah, yeah, you can't get it. I mean, we have yeah. it now at the bar, but yeah. it's crazy expensive. <laughs> I almost feel guilty drinking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw a documentary about a guy who bootlegged a bunch of, yeah. uh, of Pappy. Like he'd, he'd load up a, a pickup truck and go sell it illegally 
for like yep. slightly lower yep. prices. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. I'll yeah. check that one out. It's insanely expensive. Yeah. But it tends to be my wheelhouse, but as you... Yeah, I love those too. I do love those as well. not many whiskeys I don't like. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same. Uh, <laughs> Old you know when you, know when you yeah. spot them though. You're like, or when you taste them, you're like, oh man, that okay, I'm going to avoid that one now. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you're right. There aren't many. Uh, what? Uh, so what makes a bourbon? Well, bourbon needs to be aged at least two, two years in a charred oak barrel only used one time at least 51 i think 51 percent corn is mm-hmm. kind of the the, the the mark there that's the only thing i knew i didn't know the other yeah. the first part that so you they, said so, <laughs> so all i knew was 51 percent corn so they, they use a, a charred oak barrel one time aged for two to three years uh and that kind of makes a bourbon i believe limestone water is an important part of it i'm not sure if all the distilleries kind of use it but that's how that's like a required thing i think it's how they why they settled in kentucky originally okay. a large large part of kentucky has a limestone water base yeah so it was kind of think back like 100 years ago or so it was kind of a natural thing that led to the creation of distilleries being there um ah. was uh I, I had heard that there was a rule that to call yourself a bourbon you have to be made in kentucky was that true at one point my understanding is to be called a Kentucky bourbon. Oh, well, that makes sense. Uh, makes sense. You know, put the Kentucky. It's got to be made in Kentucky. It's kind of like, yeah. uh, like a Bordeaux wine or something. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or champagne, kind of, you know. yeah. They try to like find their, their niche. And, you know, what I think it, they cutting hairs is kind of like we can't because you can actually have bourbons now from all states. Yeah. yeah. So they just said, we're just going to make it a Kentucky bourbon, two to three years, charred oak barrel, make our shit really tight. I, I noticed that like the Colorado ones started calling themselves uh, like Breckenridge would call themselves bourbon. And clearly yep. that's made in Colorado. And yep. it's like, OK, well, I guess that rule either isn't being enforced Might be a little or, younger whiskey, too. Yeah, 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 maybe so. Yeah. Uh, so what makes a rye then? Uh, predominantly. um so again, in the mash bill, you have you know rye, barley, corn, just more rye. More rye. Yeah, just more, more rye. rye it's corn. like buying a bread. You go to the grocery store to C-Town, mm-hmm. white bread, cornbread, rye bread, same principle. Okay. They're just switching those um, ingredients gotcha. to more to create more of the other. Yeah. Um, and then what makes a bonded whiskey? Bonded whiskey is 100 proof. And I believe if I'm correct on this, back, um, I don't want to say pre, pre-prohibition, but right around there, the government, would, to standardize how it was done, the government actually controlled some of the warehouses, and they would make sure, I guess, the stuff was in there correct. They I would thought stamp that, it and bond it. I had right? heard, and tell me if I'm wrong, that it was a President uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt uh, that decided that whiskey was becoming too dangerous in that, like, you know, it was being made poorly and people were like losing their vision from it. So I the, think you're, the, the government, I tried think to, you're a thousand percent. Okay. Right on that. The government, <laughs> yeah. the government tried to regulate it. Yes. And, and then, but then because of some of the rules they put on there, it ended up with stronger whiskey. Yes. Right. That made it like hundred proof and over. So a lot of the bonded stuff, does it, does it have a limit at which it can be, or is it, does it has like to be at least a hundred. It has to be a hundred. Yeah. Okay. It has to be a hundred, but can be, can be higher. Yes. Is there a rule on how high it can be? That I don't know. Okay, but fair th- enough. I mean, if you think about the we pre- stumped him. Think about the pre-bonding period when people were just seriously the Wild West making oh, whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are dying from that shit. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. so that's uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so the president had to step in. Yeah, he, um, he liked whiskey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, this isn't gonna fly. Uh, so Old Forester, you, you you mentioned it a second yeah. ago. Uh, they were allowed to sell during Prohibition. They were the yeah, only one, right? The oldest only bottled bourbon on the market. Okay, oh, they, wow. they were allowed to sell during Prohibition. 
why? I think for medicinal purposes. They just called themselves they medicine it. and got away with it. <laughs> Minor, that's I think it's the story they tell. Okay. If you go to any of the whiskey distillery websites or talk to anyone there, these oh, there's all these amazing stories. I wonder how many of them are actually true. Right, right, right. Also, this is coming through like a whiskey lens. Well, I got the so business like, because my fourth uh, grandfather removed, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, created it. And you're like, what? And I changed my last name to match what his was, even though I wouldn't have had you're that. like, was. what? Like, how did you get in? I just like to drink. <laughs> I like whiskey. So this was the last uh, question I sent you in like the pre-interview thing. Do you have any stories, fun stories from being a bar owner? I imagine that. Uh, fun or crazy? Well, either one. <laughs> <laughs> Keep in mind when, when we opened up. Uh, what yeah, I, what year did you guys open up? 2014. Okay, 2014. Okay. Signed the lease uh, August 2013. Opened up March of 2014. Okay, so we've been open eight and a half years. Uh, thought I knew what I was doing and realized pretty quickly we really didn't know what we were doing. You know, <laughs> had to figure out how to actually run a bar, yeah. not just yeah. hang out in one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a whole different thing. You know, w- once you open up and you're crazy busy for two weeks, which we were, because everyone we knew came, yeah. well, once they all went back to their normal lives, in like, the other parts of the city yeah. in the U.S., we were by ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting there on a Monday like, well, let's see. We sold $60. I drank $60. Yeah. This is not going to work. It's like always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to need some different regulars but we, there. But yeah. we had to figure some shit out, right? Yeah. So yeah. our first July 4th that we that we were open. Uh, so open March, first July 4th, old school Greenpoint. Yeah. As you remember, was yeah. a little different than it is now. Yeah. Uh, July 4th was a pretty crazy day. Yeah. Homemade fireworks, stuff happening. So we uh, we open up and we, we open up all the windows. And as the night kind of goes on, it, it's getting wilder and wilder out in front of the bar. It's like people firing homemade fireworks off. The bar gets packed. Uh, people are on the waterfront. And this kind of Hell's Angels gang coming back. Uh, Hell's Angels crew kind of found us and made their way into the bar. So I'm like, fuck, shit's getting pretty wild. And, uh, <laughs> here, here we go. Like, fuck, what am I What am I doing? And uh, all of a sudden I hear, incoming! And uh, a guy had fired a bottle rocket outside our bar. It had fell over. Oh, it no. It came through our window. <laughs> to your point or your earlier story yeah, he had a customer yeah, knocked him off the chair oh, yeah, so this guy God. exploded in the bar knocked that guy off the chair I'm like oh my we are so fucked right now <laughs> <laughs> so I go, I go over like like you said I'm gonna buy this round for you are yeah, you okay exactly. yep, so exactly. this is happening like, but please don't uh, sue me yeah. <laughs> the bar's wall to wall people and this Hell's Angels game kind of taking over so we have a guy at the front door drinking bottled buds and as he drinks one he's throwing it on the ground and uh, breaking Jesus the bottle Christ. you've seen our bar it's beautiful yeah right? no it's, yeah. it's, so it's, it's, very it's nice. an upscale I'm about ready know. to lose my mind I'm like fuck and then some lady comes to me and says are you the owner I'm like oh, yeah no. she goes you need to get to your bathroom now so I run back to the bathroom there's a line of people waiting again to open it up and a guy um, uh, I'm not, I've never done I've actually have never done cocaine mm-hmm. I, I'm not a big drug guy yeah. okay. drink, drink a lot yeah, yeah. but uh I guess he had dropped like a half a bag of Coke in the bathroom because uh, it was everywhere. Whoa. Uh, it was on the floor, uh, on the toilet, uh, Jesus. around the sink. Just everywhere. It was this everywhere. Guy a billionaire? So <laughs> it was like, like I opened the door, kind of moved to powder. It was on the Holy floor. So shit. Well, it gets better. So I go and get the vacuum cleaner. So I yell out. I'm like, we're closing, everyone. So we turn the lights up, closing down. I get the vacuum cleaner, and I'm vacuuming up. And then uh, some guy's like, hey, man, 
can I can I buy that? Can I buy that? <laughs> and then I've never done How much for the vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> I've never done coke. But I came out and my bartender said I was like talking. I was like a million miles a minute yeah. more than I am now. Right. So I'm yeah. assuming uh, you got in your it, it was floating around yeah. in there. It's like some, of the went, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some of the powder went some of the powder went airborne right. a little bit. So we closed early that night, shut down. And, and uh, then you eventually came down from your high and were able to go down. to sleep. Three, three days later, yeah. so what was I, was like, can, can I get the garbage bag? <laughs> <laughs> can I take it home? <laughs> All right, so let's go back. You're originally from Louisville, right? Louisville, Kentucky. Went to, uh, okay. I'm yeah, my, Lu- my, Lu- my, Louisville. Louisville. You got Louisville. slur. Louisville. Sorry, Louisville. You're from Louisville. Louisville. Uh, you went to Southern High, right? Yeah, man, the South Side. Class of 83. Class of 83. And... Despite being a self-described punk, mm-hmm. you were also an athlete in high school. I was. Is that is that an is that a usual thing? Were there other punks turned athletes at your high school? So. I don't think so. I was the only one. I was a huge Ramon fan. I think the only Ooh. person in my school that dug the Ramones or or the Sex Pistols. Okay, well, only person. <laughs> I think there wasn't many because at that time Sammy Hagar was number one. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, <laughs> think about, yeah, yeah. Think about what was being played in 1983. Lionel Richie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was our prom theme song. Uh, Truly. <laughs> and now we're getting to the music stuff. Uh, you started playing. You started playing music in high school, right? Started fucking around a little bit with drums. Okay. Uh, was not very good. Gotcha. And my dad, uh, who. Uh, they describe as uh, back then as a rounder. A, ra- a rounder is a southern term you use when you describe someone that's kind of a. Um, he was a rough dude, you know. He's self-made, self. He was a successful self-made dude, but he didn't bullshit. And he's like, "Son, uh, I don't think your future lies in drumming." <laughs> Unlike today's environment, where you know they might tell their kids, "Hey, yeah, encourage." Yeah, he's yeah, like, yeah. I think you suck. Yeah, I mean, you can try another instrument, but you got to switch. And then he's like, do you want to learn how to play guitar? Because he played guitar. Okay. So yeah. I tried that for a little bit, for about a week. And it became pretty prevalent. Like, I got to work in it. Yeah. <laughs> so did, I'm like, I think I want to sing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, did your mom play any instruments? No, mom just uh, just put up with us. Okay. Okay. And, and she uh, described, I raised two pigs. So <laughs> <laughs> my wife would say she was the Southern woman. <laughs> I so raised what, two animals. What's your folk story? Where'd, where'd they come from? How'd they... Well, uh, pretty amazing. My folks met in an orphanage. Uh, oh my oh, god. Wow. What? Yeah, man. See, that's one of the things I didn't know ahead of time. I, I like to I like to not find out some information. I guess children's home or whatever you yeah. want to call yeah. it. Yeah, both my uh, parents uh met 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 there when they were little. I, okay. And then uh I guess started dating right I uh, dated or? in high school, started dating in high school. My father was uh uninvited from high school. And, um, Does that mean thrown out of probably. high school? Okay. Probably. Yeah, 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 nice yeah, yeah, if you ever listen to this, he would not be happy that I'm revealing any of this. <laughs> okay. uh, well, I mean, but yeah, it, we don't have to dig any deeper. Uninvited <laughs> from high school. And uh, my dad had an uncle who uh, married his older sister that joined the army. They kind of got my dad and brought him to Knoxville, Tennessee, whipped him into shape. He ended up back in Louisville getting his GED. Okay. Uh, him and my mom were connected and married young. And then started and then, and then played music. Um Played music, talked his way into his career. What was his uh, career? He was a computer operator for Ford. Wow. So, oh, when nice. you think about how this happened back in like 69 or 70, there was no computer science degrees. Right. Uh, literally walked in and just kind of like convinced them to hire him. Like, just winged and my it. Dad, my dad learned on the job. My dad never <laughs> missed a day of work his entire life. Wow. Never called out, worked double shifts. Uh, literally was self-taught 
into that. And back in that era, from the way I understood it, they kind of taught you as you went. Yeah. Because they were still figuring yeah, it out. Yeah, of themselves. course. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, your folks still around? Yeah. Fantastic. Still alive. He's Fantastic. 85. You went and visited them recently, yep. right? Fantastic. Yeah. Um, you, uh, you graduated high school, which is great. That's Congratulations a, on that. Thank you. Uh, you went to the University of Louisville. University of Louisville. You continued your track and cross-country career. I did. Ran four years there. Uh, nice. You you had a run-in with a, a notable NFL and college coach, right? Howard Howard Schellenberger. Howard Schellenberger. And, uh, yeah, tell us about that. Well, Coach Schellenberger took over the Louisville football team, so... Was this for, after the Dolphins? I can't yes. remember. Okay, it was after All right, the so Dolphins. So he coached with Shula for the Dolphins, yeah. undefeated team, yeah. Super Bowl, only right. only one that's been undefeated. Uh, then he took over the, the University of Miami program, started the U, yeah. won their first national title. Yeah. Then the way I understood the story from him was he accepted a job for the USFL. I think Trump may have had a right, team in it. Right, right, right. Mm. Oh, yeah, uh, that guy. I yeah. That. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that dickhead. So he took over... Um, the job to coach for the USFL, it, the league folded, right. so he never got to coach. Louisville, um, where I went to school, our right. football program sucked. I mean, we were awful. They were thinking about disbanding it, and some backers oh, wow. of the city. I think Paul Horning may have been a backer, and a few of the city people decided, let's bring Howard home. He's available. They raised a bunch of money, brought him back. He essentially started the Louisville football football program wow yeah wow. and that was when i was running so when i graduated there was a coach coaching spot available on the track team hell i took it yeah and uh started hanging out at the football complex and you're you're still a punk a rocker at this time yes i was a uh, uh, by that time i moved into the stones i thought i was you know mick or keith and <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> monkey man you know but you, did, okay. <laughs> but you did used to go to discos right this is around that time yeah we would show up at the uh, disco that was still left called whispering hills uh, <laughs> uh, which also the fact there's still one and this is what 85 this is 85 ish and there actually was a disco with a lighted floor like saturday night fever and the floor would oh, light wow. up and they, everyone would dance it, they would wear that shit and we would show up like not dressed like that and they would let us in and, and invariably we would end up on the dance floor just uh uh we'd smuggle we'd smuggle in a pint of the cheapest whiskey that you could buy yeah, uh, oh yeah which in, in, a, in a kentucky area bar or, or liquor store there might be a hundred whiskeys right you know some of them like the shittiest names ever old <laughs> Old granddad's nephew, or you know, <laughs> <laughs> old stepson, your mom's sister. Wait, this isn't the know. right stuff. Yeah. It's just a, a cheap blend, and we would drink it and then show up at this club and just. It, you used a phrase when you were terrible. Yeah, in, in the pre-interview, we were awful. In the pre-interview, you gave me, uh, you used a phrase that I haven't heard much before, but you said we would go, they would play the Ramones, we'd go out in the middle and slam dance. Yeah. Now. Uh, I oh yeah I have it heard is. my grand my grandfather uh, used that phrase once to describe mosh pits and then my dad I guess he went to a Stones concert and uh, Van Halen opened for them and he always says that was the first time I saw slam dancing huh. and I just thought like that mm-hmm. maybe that was an out of touch thing to say but when you're the coolest person I've ever heard well, use that phrase really, so I I'm was really like I guess <laughs> I guess that must be well I guess, was that what mosh pits were called before it, it wasn't really a mosh imagine like a hundred people dressed in uh, late 70s gears in the mid 80 on right. a lighted dance floor doing their best John Travolta yes and then our drunken ass going out in the middle and just kind of knocking each other around knocking them out of the way yeah invariably yeah. just uh, sometimes we did we, we were obsessed with John Belushi in uh, Animal House. Yeah. So we'd fall on the ground and do gators, you know, hey, yeah. <laughs> and they'd look at us like, what the hell is wrong with these guys? 
<laughs> okay, so not the same as a mosh pit. Gotcha. Where we would run into each other and bump right, each other right, right, and right, knock right, each right, other yeah. around. Uh, you know? Now yeah. I understand. Now we're getting, we got the difference between bourbon and rye, and now slam dancing and mosh pits. Uh, you started drinking whiskey around then, you mentioned. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you mentioned the brands. And I guess Kentucky would be a really good spot to be to have a big selection, but it sounds like you were going for the bottom. Oh, we had no money. We yeah. had no money. <laughs> going for the bottom. Well, we'll get us the drunkest, the quickest, and the cheapest. <laughs> so we could go ruin everyone's night at Whispering Hills. Yeah. That's, right. That's what we did in Minneapolis. We'd Every night we'd get a bottle of black velvet. It was like $8 for a liter. That's a whiskey? And, uh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, black velvet. Oh. And then we'd go to the... sounds bad. We'd go to the, the Triple Rock and, you know, where they had a bunch of, like, punk rock shows owned by Dillinger 4, and we'd just... Yeah, we'd pregame with our black velvet. <laughs> we just had to go to Whispering Hills because that's where the girls were. Ah, <laughs> there we go. We you had to go. You helped usher out the disco era. That's very nice. Uh, you met you didn't meet your wife around that same time. I met my wife in '91 on a recruiting trip. Okay, so you were still working for coaching. the college. Oh, yeah. you, you were still yeah, you were still coaching. Gotcha. Third year coaching. Okay, tell us about that real quick. Well, I was a. Uh, uh, the story I told them is I was going to go to St. Louis to recruit some track runners. My big brother lived in St. Louis. So it was really a way to use the state car that looked like a police car. Yeah. Wait, did they, did <laughs> the school, did, 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 did the school buy this car for yeah, you? Yeah, the school had like a fleet of state cars. Okay. So, so you got a state I car. I would just go right. over and they'd yeah, take it, they'd let a 23 year old guy. Oh, you didn't have the same one. They had a fleet. You would just had a take fleet. every oh, time I, you had I, to use whatever a car. I needed it. Oh. I would just go sign it out and, and sign take it, it out. with a state, <laughs> with, a, with, with a cash, a thing of per diem. Oh. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, so I was going to go and a state credit card that can only be used for gasoline. And they told me, make sure you don't buy beer on it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I bet you could figure out how to get away with that. I mean, you uh, could never do this shit nowadays. Think about that yeah. with the liability. So I went to St. Louis to visit my brother under a recruiting trip. And uh, that Friday night, walked into a bar, saw my wife, and walked up to her and said, uh, I know what you need tonight. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh and my. she said, what? I said, a 5'11 blonde hair blue-eyed guy. <laughs> <laughs> and she looked at me, and she's like, it's not uh, what I need. <laughs> you could have lied. You could have said six yeah. feet. You could have. You You're like well, five, only one more. Oh, like yeah. five, nine and a half. You yeah, can't stretch stretching. two. You can't stretch two. Uh, well, that's terrific. Uh, you, you you graduated, you said, uh, just we'll, we'll, barely. we'll go back. Yeah, you said barely. Okay, yeah, in, in 88. A why, sociology degree. Why barely? What happened? I was never uh, a good, I wouldn't say I wasn't a, Good student. I was just disinterested. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Didn't I put a lot that. of time. I was kind of the uh, student that read all the books except what they asked you to read. Okay. <laughs> well, at least you were reading. I was one of the. Oh, I was a pr- prolific reader. But I was one of those guys who would sit in the class and have my History of the Stones book, yeah, or yeah. you know, rather than the actual book you're supposed to read. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, Sometimes not show up to class and always take my midterms and finals. I had a kind of a Spicoli experience once. Yeah. <laughs> I took a midterm once for a sociology class. Or a, I, it was like criminology 201. And I remember I took it because he didn't require attendance. This is terrible. It's a true story. And I remember I went to my midterm and he was like, are you in my class? <laughs> I'm like, I am now. I am today. I'm still registered. Legally, you can't drop me. So he let me take it and I actually passed. Oh, okay. Oh, so let that be a lesson, kids. You don't have to go to class. Just midterm and I just final. wanted my degree, yep. Yep. but I really didn't like the, uh, you know, the discipline of 
going. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, <laughs> yeah. I got you. I got you. Same, and they're telling me what I had to do. I'm right yeah. there with you. Uh, you. You lived in your office when you were coaching, right? After you yeah. graduated? Okay. Yeah. What, just because they didn't pay you enough to have a... We made no money. Right. They, they, called they us, expected you to be able to afford a place to live? Though? No, they didn't really care. But, uh, okay, right. They, they, called didn't, us they didn't a, crack down on right. you. They called us non-revenue in... sports was the term they used back in the early 80s okay. and mid-80s. And we made so little money. Uh, but, you know, it, it, the rest of the shit was paid for, right? With the football team on the training table a lot. So I kind of ate with them, had yeah. some meals covered, health insurance, oh. car, whenever I wanted yeah, it. Yeah, that's nice. And a per diem. I mean, these are big, yeah. And I a mean. per diem, which back in that day, you know, if you get 60 bucks a day, 19... 89, that's a, that's a lot 23 of years old. Oh, yeah, I could eat McDonald's for five. Hell, I could do that That's the party money. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I lived in my office, and I think, I know they knew it. I just don't think they knew quite what to do with me. Yeah. They couldn't figure like Rudy, out, like... right? He lives in, like, he lives <laughs> in... They couldn't quite figure out, like, I think he's fucking there, because he's there all the time. <laughs> wow, you're really, you know, you're in early. You seem to stay very late. Uh, <laughs> and he, I, you know, I have a shower at the, at the football team. I'd go over there to the football complex. I hung yeah. out at the complex 24-7. So I was like a fly on the wall, and I was obsessed with, kind of obsessed with Coach Schellenberger. Yeah. He was intriguing to me, you know, mm-hmm. this icon. So I was kind of watch him and hang out sometimes if they would let me sit in the meetings yeah you know, sit in the back seriously i would like i was like this is that track and field guy is back i don't know what the hell he's doing I, I would volunteer for anything and be like hey um i'm going to attract me because back in those days it wasn't all electronic timing right i mean there was but some of the meets you were still manually yeah, timing. The, the, the stopwatch Fuck yeah man so yeah. i was like hey i'm gonna go watch these two runners do you have any body you're looking at and recruiting coordinator would be like yeah hey, we're looking at these two dbs you know they're defensive backs do you want to Time them. So fuck yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. Well, th- I mean, <laughs> hell yeah. yeah. Why not? Huh? Did you ever? Were you ever? Uh, were there ever any track and field guys who made the jump to the football team? Because like you, you, you do see that sometimes. It's kind of the other way. The football players would run track, stay in shape. Actually, one oh. of them threw shot put for us. Uh, Ted Washington had a prolific career as a defensive tackle. Oh, uh, back in like, I mean, if you look him up, he probably played like ten or eleven years. Oh, okay. you know, wildly successful. Huge guy, but I, I I have heard of players going the the uh, the other route where they're just unbelievably fast. So yes. the, the sometimes football team we will poach them, okay, <laughs> <laughs> or, or big enough maybe, we, just fast enough. We were non revenue like, sport. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't take the hit. <laughs> uh, but the, so because there was not a lot of money in that, uh, your your friend got you to transition out of uh, the track and field coaching, right? Yeah, well, I met her. We dated long distance for a while. Um, I was calling her from every city I traveled in. So I was recruited. I was in. Florida State, South Carolina, and I would call her and be like, you know, you need to come visit me in Louisville. And she's like, I don't know, man. You seem a little crazy. I don't know. know." So I finally wore her down, convinced her to come visit me. So she came, said, all right, I'm going to come. Let's set a date up. And then the reality hit if I don't live anywhere. (laughs) I wasn't living anywhere. Occasionally, my Dave and Mary Beth Zickel, two great friends of mine, would let me crash on their couch. But I was sleeping in my office. So I had to go uh, get a room and I had no money. So I went to the recruiting coordinator, uh, Coach Schellenberger's recruiting coordinator, Randy Wett. And was like, hey, I need a room. Can you can you help me out? And he's like, what do you what do you got going on? Who are you recruiting? <laughs> well, I can tell you what I hope I I'm like, going to have going on. <laughs> and I told him, I was like, hey, I met this girl. I really dig her. I recruited this lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, the athletic director called me in once, and uh, like two months after I met her, and uh, my phone bill was like exorbitantly. This is back in the day of the, the phone bills. Yeah, they print them out. And you had a code you put in when you made your calls. Um, you know, 
pretty dumb 24 year old making calls <laughs> yeah. and he's like what is this number 314 area code st louis and he goes it hundreds of dollars and you're talking to this person for hours he's like tell your me brother she, your brother lived there at the time like, like, well, tell, me she can run. tell me she can run it's you know i'm sure at some level someone was like this 23 year old kids calling these 16 year i mean think about that and i'm like i fessed up i'm like no i met this i met this girl i really dig her and i'm sorry i'll pay it back if you want and buy dick her so they got long story short they got my wife a room at the radisson on the oh. university of louisville House football account. Thanks to Coach nice. Schellenberger. Hey, thanks, Coach Schellenberger. Very nice. Um, around that time, uh, oh wait, but sorry, you 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 did uh, after shortly after that, I guess you, you realized the money was no good there, so you did tri- you did go yeah. to you, a friend of yours worked at Circuit City yep. somewhere. What was we that were in St. Louis? Shit was getting real. She either had to come where I was, or I had to go where she was. Gotcha. I had two coaching offers: Eastern Kentucky and Southern Mississippi. Kind of realized it wasn't going to be a lot of money. I'm going to go live with her. So I packed up my shit, moved to St. Louis, and I needed a job. My buddy, who I ran with in college, uh, worked at Circuit City. In St. Louis? He was in Louisville. Oh, okay. Called a store in St. Louis. Like, probably looked oh. him up in the Yellow Pages. Who knows how he did it back <laughs> yeah, then? Yeah, exactly. Seriously, called the store. was like, hey, I got this guy. He's awesome. He recruits for a living. You're going to love him. Walked in, interviewed. 72 hours later, was on the floor selling. Okay. Audio and phones. <laughs> Nice. And it was around that time. It was around that. Pre HR. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can you sell? Can you work? Can you not call out? You're hired. When can you start? And it was around that time that your your band formed. Tastes like chicken, right? Yeah, my uh, um, guitar player, keyboard player, and bass player, I sold them audio equipment. Okay. City. Oh, so you met them all at Circuit City. I sold them gear. And then uh, somehow we ended up talking about music. All, all of them at different times. I'm like, hey, you like music? And they're like, yeah, I like this. I'm like, well, I like music. And they're like, do you play? And I'm like, well, I don't really play. I kind of like to yell and scream and jump around and try to sing. Yeah. And we ended up having this conversation and decided we were going to get together and jam. Cool. And that's how it happened. Nice. And you guys had you guys became pretty big. You were on some pretty... Would that be called a... Like when, when there's a list of bands playing, that would be called a marquee, right? I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not a, a bill, physical the, the marquee. Bill. Yeah. A, a bill, okay. Yeah. Um, you, you told me about like something to do with the Foo Fighters, right? You were on one with the Foo Fighters we and they, they, what was the deal with that? They didn't figure out how to market them yet? Well, I yet, think the or? story was that Dave Grohl was, he was the undercard for Mike Watt and um, <clears throat> they, they were the, the undercard. He had just recorded his debut album, I believe. So it was probably like mid 90s? This was, no, it was really, uh, it was like right after Kurt killed himself. Yeah, it wasn't it was long. Like 92, 93 And he had maybe. done his first album but he played all the instruments. Yeah. Yep, yep. And then it, started to he wanted to test it this is the story i always heard or what they said they were going to test it go on the road so he had to put a band together see if it was going to be successful so he was the undercard and he was just build foo fighters in small print i think i showed you that yeah not dave Grohl, drummer of nirvana because he wasn't sure if how successful it was going to be right yeah mm-hmm. and that's uh, of course that you know three months later they were off that bill yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it just started selling real quick matter of fact we started covering the songs i think okay. i think we did the this is the call and uh yeah i'll stick around yep, yep. I'll I'll stick around, yeah. oh and it's big a... me which was on that too oh, man, i love, love, I love, love big me man yeah, love yeah we covered all those too. Uh, not very well <laughs> <laughs> well you guys did mostly covers right but you had some originals that were, we were a cover uh, that were solid okay we, we well, were a cover band playing shit that we like to play and um we got lucky shit started to happen for us we started like drawing uh, pretty big crowds, yeah. playing big venues. 300, 500 people, right? Mm, 
Five hundred to a thousand. Five hundred to a thousand. Okay. Making pretty good My money. My apologies. I was yeah. um, <laughs> making good money, making them good money. Yeah. Playing songs that we liked. And what were some uh, crowd, happening. What were some crowd favorites? What were some audience uh, favorites? At that of, time, you know? um, this is the call. Okay. I'll, I'll stick around. We pulled out some obscure REM. Um, some stuff from like their debut. Uh, so mostly with, contemporary stuff. A radio for Europe. I mean, we would mix in some um, hidden gems like the Plimsolls, okay. a million miles away, band of Los Angeles. Okay. Should have, could have, would have been famous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big venue, mid, uh, what was it called? Mississippi, Mississippi Nights. Mississippi Nights. In St. Louis. Um, the music venue. Tell us about it. How big venue? Like uh, 800 to 1,000, depending okay. on the setup. And they had national bands every night. And we uh, essentially talked our way into to playing in. Our, our, our guitar player essentially talked us into getting in. And our following was getting big. So from their perspective, if you have a national, say you have a calendar of 30 days and you have 20 national bands book, booking in those two or three local cover bands that pack the place makes right. the money. Yeah, kind of yeah. And we were easy peasy because we would play anytime anywhere it didn't right. matter we're just ready to go okay yeah, yeah. yeah we'd love to get in there yeah. so we got in drew well for him made them money and uh, we became a regular staple that's they, great once a month we you know kind of had a gig there and then we got a couple big ones yeah new year's well, eve t- 1996 well, tell us about that uh we got the opportunity to host their new year's eve show just us i think it was 35 dollars a head wow 35 sold tickets sold it out in advance holy it shit was a well, 900 seat thing we sold that night Wow, and is that the one? Was that the one that was before the Six Flags show, or? Uh, well, that was a, a different night, same venue, okay, but a different night. That's... And we, but yeah, that '96 gig. This, tell us this. Tell, well, yeah, tell us about the. Well, the '96 gig was amazing. They were lined up for hours to get in, and that was really when we're like, you know, shit's happened for us. Yeah, we're, we're, we're <laughs> no we're, shit. We're, we're, we're doing it. Even though, hey, we're playing it everyone else's shit, but we're doing it our own way, kind yeah. of trying to make it a little bit. You know, weren't playing a note. We're kind of. We're kind of punking it out, yeah. You know, kind of social D style, and then we like we should really start to play our own stuff because we the thought was we were being so things were going so well that if we could work some of our own tunes in, mm-hmm. even though we had this massive following, maybe shit might happen for us. Right? Yeah, we kind of went the other way. Yeah, problem was we were playing so much and working so much full on full time jobs. Yeah. we never slowed down enough to actually like take that break. Yeah, we just. You know, it was great. Yeah. I told my guitar player, pay me once a month. You know, it took him a while to figure that out because, you know, don't bring cash every night. So once a month, he would just show up and bring a wad of cash and put it in my pocket. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Fucking great. Yeah. yeah. My wife loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on with a wad of cash. <laughs> and I, I think it's been long enough. I don't think the IRS will be concerned about that. Yeah. He's, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, no. We reported that income. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, the uh, Tell us about the MTV Six Flags show. Uh, well, I guess tell us about the show that happened a few days before. Uh, before that, right? Because there was the, you, you. You had a crazy show at that venue that went oh, very um, late, right? Oh yeah, the one at Boomer. So Boomer's. Oh, Boomer, a, sorry. Boomer's okay. was a venue on the landing. Uh, the landing scenario of St. Louis, where all the clubs and bands played. Mm-hmm. I think it's now kind of gone. But back then, there was probably ten venues down there. Amazing place to be. I mean, just killer stuff going on. So Boomer's was this club, uh, probably held four hundred people, three okay. to four hundred. Mm-hmm. And it was it, you had to go down in the basement, so it was a kind of a low, below ground club. Amazing sound system, wall to wall sound, great. But the crowd was right upon you, so the stage was almost in the crowd. Uh, and um, like the, I think it was the men's and women's gymnastics team 
uh, U.S. gymnastics team was in town practicing, the way I understood it, and they had these pipes that hung from the ceiling low. So it was all low pipes. So uh, I started swinging from the pipes. You so, started swinging. Yeah, from I started pipes. swinging from. I did. A, I did. A, I think it was watching too much uh, Pearl Jam. I was watching Eddie Vedder climb shit. So I'm like, I'm gonna swing from the fucking pipes. So I started swinging from the pipes, and the band's rocking. Well, pretty soon all the gymnasts were swimming from the swinging from the pipes, and uh, there's like 20 people do, and they're like pulling up doing twirls and shit, you know, jumping off of it. I'm like, someone's gonna break their leg. It would be so confusing to be at that show. You'd it be was, like, wow, okay, that guy's doing it, and then you're just like, wow, these other was, these like. The audience members are really <laughs> good at very this. Very talented. They're really, that guy just stuck a landing. And seriously, this is, this that. And so it's getting crazy. So then the other P and the place is sold out. The place is getting nuts. And I could see the owner in the back. He's like fucking freaking out. Yeah. He's just like, what the fuck? So as we're getting wilder and wilder and they're like jumping around, I'm back on stage. This woman, girl comes out, takes her shirt off and puts her, um, 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 very large set of uh, tatas. Yeah, yeah we, 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 on, you, were, you were telegraphing it. Yeah. We got it figured out. <laughs> on my drummer's hi hat. Oh, very good. Yeah, very like, good. As he's playing, she's like laying him there, and he's continuing to play. And he's tw- he's a, he was a stick twirler, and he's twirling. He did one of what you said happened when you, when yep, you hit the guy. He, in the head. he threw a stick out. He hit a guy in the head. <laughs> and the stick. The dude fell on the floor. They're still doing their like twirls and shit. This and then we bleeding. And we're like, damn. We took a break. <laughs> Thank you, guy. We're right back, motherfuckers. Tip your bartenders and waiters as well. The owner comes up to me. Now the pipe, one of the pipes is leaking water. Oh man, hopefully that's he's like uh, just water. Yeah, he's like, if this fucking breaks, you guys are fucked. You'll never play here again. We're avoiding all your contracts. I mean, because he was seriously thought the pipe was going to burst and like uh, flood his club. Yeah, yeah. which would have so, been bad. He's like, when you come back on next set. No more pipe swinging. <laughs> I didn't think I had to make a rule about that. I was that. like, shit. Oh, he was just livid. Absolutely livid. Okay. There was one you told me about where you played really late one night. And uh, then and then you had some pretty big gigs. Yeah, worst gig ever. Okay, there we go. Let's yeah. let's hear about the word. We've heard the highs. Let's hear the lows. Worst yeah. gig, worst gig ever. So we again, we all worked full time jobs, didn't sleep much. My guitar player, we would play anywhere, anytime, and my guitar player was just. He was an amazing booker. He got us into so many great gigs. Yeah. So we uh, we were playing a gig on Friday night. At Boomers, a late night gig, and uh, that that was a two gig ended at two thirty in the morning. So I got home probably five or five thirty, and we had an opportunity to play an MTV Spring Break gig the next morning wow. at Six Flags over Mid America. I think it was like eleven a.m. start time. I mean, like midnight, mid nineties. Uh, this would have been. I don't know, maybe 97. Wow. I mean, still, though, that 97 MTV, MTV Spring Break. You know, that is, that is MTV. king shit right there. I don't think they were filming it or showing it, but it, but it was sponsored by them. Yeah, yeah. Bottom yeah. line, it was a big deal. And it was, the money was great. So we're yeah. like, we took it. Why not? Yeah. Well, we had, we also had a gig Saturday night at Trainwreck uh, Westport. Uh, Trainwreck on two, two clubs, one on the landing, one on Westport. So uh, we weren't smart enough to move one of those gigs yeah. <laughs> and I was uh, definitely hadn't learned the art of pacing or singing in a controlled manner you gave it your all every show and that's great so that's went to the MTV gig you know and quickly cursed early on and one of them someone there was like you guys can you not say fuck so much? <laughs> I think it's what they kind of say. Can you can you not, can you not curse so much? <laughs> you know? So we're like okay alright well we won't and then by the time we got out of there probably one in the afternoon one thirty, wrapped up um, we had to be at a gig that night to play. Oh. By the time we got to the show that night, that's three three shows, 24 hours, 45 songs Friday night, probably 25 for MTV. We're going to do another 40 Saturday night. I 
I couldn't speak. I was there, like, it was like this. There is not enough throat coat. Yeah. So we world, open up, yeah. open up the first song. I, I'm like, good evening, everyone. And uh, <laughs> so I, I don't even think I sing a fucking song. And we ended up karaoke, like calling people from the crowd. We're like, anyone want to sing? Well, actually, it wasn't me talking. Yeah, and my right, right. drummer, my drummer was doing impressions. And he was like doing impressions to get through the night. Hey, how are you doing tonight? I used to do like a did a art. Uh, Archie Bunker thing. Okay. <laughs> and we had people out of the crowd come up and sing. It was the worst gig ever. I'm talking like ever. And the owner of the club was like, well, you really suck tonight. <laughs> but you play, you'd played there before. Though, oh, right? yeah. We, okay. we, we, we had contracts with them. He goes, I thought about maybe voiding your contract. But he goes, they fucking drink a lot. <laughs> hey, if they're making money. He goes, but they drink a lot. Yeah. He goes, but you suck. Yeah. Don't do that again. Yeah. I, mean, just, I mean, what are you going to play? This is the call with no vocals? Silence. I think it sounds fun, though. It sounds like a fun night. It, it sounds was, like people had a great time. It was a little stressful. We had this, again, bad idea of pulling people up out of the crowd. Yeah. You never want to Bad do singers. That. Um, oh, I but, know that song. Then they get up there and they freeze. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know it. Uh, like, uh, they, they can sing along uh, to it. But they don't. <laughs> um, well, so you brought people up. You've also dove into the crowd before. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened there? Uh, um, train wreck on the landing. Again, shit's kind of happening for us. And um, I will tell you this. You do kind of see how people, uh, real rock stars, like legitimate rock stars, how they can kind of lose themselves. I mean, we, we were fortunate to kind of be kind of, we had some success. Yeah. But we were a big fish in a small pond covering other people's songs, but shit was crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were selling out shows and, my wife and I would go out to dinner and people would ask for autographs or they get pictures. It was fucking insane. That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, we're at this show. We're rocking. And um, it's sold out again. And we're like just going nuts. The crowd's just mosh, jumping up and down. And I see this girl. And there was a wall of women in the front. My wife caught on the wall of women. So <laughs> they would line up in the front. And we were all married. And we're proudly sporting our rings and shit. And we, yeah. were, we were good dudes. We, we didn't fuck around. We Respecting of the wives was number one band role okay. you know which, which which I think in retrospect in retrospect made it worse because these women <laughs> got fucking crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. they did yeah. they would throw shit on the stage get nuts so this girl kind of ran to the front of the stage and she was like just going crazy and I could see the guy getting more and more mad he was pissed her fella her, her, yeah, her boyfriend maybe. date the guy, boyfriend yeah, whoever yeah. Was ex-boyfriend whatever yeah. happened <laughs> he comes to the front of the stage and takes a full like class and throws and hits and hits me with it Jesus Whoa. Christ! What? Yeah, hits me, kind of glances me on the shoulder. You know, fucking falls on the stage, and uh, so I waste kinda, of a drink. I waste of a drink. Yeah. <laughs> I took two steps back, and then dove into the stage and cold cocked this guy. Axel Rose did. Actually, I mean, I landed. Dove off of the stage. Dove off the stage, yeah. landed on him, hit him in the head. By this time, it was like a hockey pile, uh, or a rugby pile. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone jumps on right, and uh, and as I'm down there. I realized the guy's probably like 6'4", 240. <laughs> and when you, what the hell am I? I wasn't 5'11", blonde hair, blue. I was like 5'9 and a half, you know, <laughs> 140 pounds. So this dude's going to fucking kill me. Yeah. And these bouncers who loved us uh, literally pulled everyone off and saved me. Yeah. But, I, but I crawled out from under the pile and got back on stage. And, and the band never stopped playing. That's and amazing. We, dude, that's rock and roll. We yeah. never broke song. <laughs> and then they carried this poor guy out and literally tossed him out wow and then the girl stayed 
Awesome. <laughs> yeah. God. I remember like two songs later my shirt's ripped. You know, I got like a, a bruise on my head and I'm like, round of shots for the bar, for the band. They bring, they bring us a round of shots. We do everyone's kind of like, that was kind of nuts. And I'm like, oh, like, she's standing there. <laughs> I'm like, hey, they took you can't him miss out. the show. They took yeah. him out and literally, you know, probably beat this guy's yeah, butt. Because yeah, yeah, the yeah. bouncers loved us because we would treat uh, the... The bouncers, like uh, sound guys, monitor guys, we would treat them like part of the band. Yeah. We would introduce these dudes. Hey, tonight we got Big Mike working the left of the stage right, so any single women here, yeah. go Big Mike. Oh, yeah, hey, we, got a, we got Troy on the right over there, man. It's his birthday tonight. It's not his birthday. Yeah. He gets free <laughs> drinks, man. It's his birthday every night. <laughs> hey, the light guy back there just broke up with his woman. You need to go see him. Yeah. I mean, but the real thing is that you treat these guys part of it. They... they they loved us. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. And it's 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 good to be in good with the bouncers, oh, by the way, yeah. and in any situation. Tip your bartenders and waitresses yeah, well. Yeah, That's yeah, what I used absolutely. to say. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> and you did all of this yeah. while still climbing the like the corporate ladder, right? Working full time. Yeah. Um, and and then that what, what you, you so how high did you reach w- while you were still in the band at Circuit City? Well, I guess. When, when the band started, I was selling. Okay. Um, audio gear, phones, you know, commission. Yeah. And I remember about six months into that gig, I was like, that guy, that guy wearing that red coat, he's a salesman. I think I could do that job. So I went to like the district manager and said, man, I I could do that job. And I sort of started trying to work my way up. Yeah. And um, earned my way as a sales manager. And then I started running a store for him and then got the opportunity to run their biggest store. And that was all when the band was hitting. And and my wife's, my wife's an angel with our routine was just insane. Yeah. Uh, but a store manager's schedule for Circuit City back in these days is you had Sunday, Monday off. So I would work Friday. I would open up. I would leave work at five, go play all night Friday. I would get in Friday night, typically no earlier than four, no later than six, uh, 5.30. I would sleep till about 7 a.m. Because I, I had to open up. <laughs> she, she would wake me up and I would open up every Saturday and run the store, and then go play again Saturday night. Oh, that's and, fucking rough. And that's for a two-day gig. Sometimes we did three nights. And then I would, Sunday, I would get in, and I would. she would let me sleep till 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And I would sound like this. I'd be like, hey, guys. <laughs> and then Monday, I'd start to sound a little better. And then Tuesday. But, but, come out of it. But this yeah. was this routine that we were on for years. Jesus. But and it was you, great. With no cocaine or speed. No, I never, I believe it or not, uh, I was, I was I never a drug guy, dude. Man. Although people... Sometimes are they're kind of surprised by that. Yeah, people are like, dude, you're too amped up. What the fuck are you on? It's coffee, right? Is it coffee? I had four cups today. Okay, yes, then that's what. Well, what did you, did I you, cleaned the bathroom at the bar today, man. Did, did you did you drink coffee back then? Were you, uh, you a lot always, of coffee? A lot of coffee. I okay. wouldn't drink on Friday nights when when we play because I had to work Saturday on those sleep. Right. And uh, didn't and then Saturdays typically would have a couple drinks at the show and when typically an, ap- an after party too. And, yeah. You know, and but you could get because Sunday, you know. So um, the band, we think about the job. It kind of kept because my other, the other guys are working too. Mm-hmm. It kind of kept all of us on the straight and narrow. Yeah, you think about that. I mean, you could a little more disciplined. Yeah, it, you know, it, it worked. Well, you're married yeah. and and have Not jobs. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that they, probably keeps the bass player and, key, and keyboard player were brothers and 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 they're doctors. So, wow, so oh, doctors yeah. in the band, podiatrist. Okay, that yeah. counts. Yeah, when yeah. one guy, <laughs> you know, when the guy hit his head with the yep. stick and he fell. Uh, Larry, the bass player, went down to check to see if he's breathing. Someone yelled, check his feet. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, shit, that's cold. (laughs) Check his feet. (laughs) So the the band thing's going well and the the, uh, corporate stuff's going well. 
you you had to make a grown up decision though. They they offered you a job in New York, right? They did. My and wife was in law school. She had one year left of law school, and Circuit essentially came to me and said, "We got this opportunity in New York City. What do you think?" And I'm like. Uh, no, <laughs> sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't want to go to New York City. These people are insane. And then they, um, it's all happened pretty quick. It was like December of 98. And then they um, offered to fly us up January of 99 and uh, flew us up for the weekend. How old were you at the time? Uh, let's see. Well, fuck, I'm old now. Uh, <laughs> uh, 35? Okay. 35, they offered I was born in 64. Is that right? Uh, Kentucky well, I, math? I don't know. I was 25 years old. I'm doing Eric. Florida math. That's even worse. We made it when we were 10. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, flew up in January. We stayed at the Times Square in um, uh, at the Hilton Times Square. Fucking loved it. We're like, this is amazing. Uh, the offer was two-year contract, and we're like, why not? Even though it was uh, the only thing keeping us there was was the band. Yeah. That uh, was the hardest mm-hmm. thing to walk away from. Because we were starting to work on some songs. We had worked in a, uh, I guess you'd call it a semi-original, Tommy Womack, amazing singer-songwriter for a band called Government Cheese. Oh, yeah. Uh, fantastic yeah. band. Mm-hmm. Tommy Womack, I was a big fan of his. I called him up uh, mid-90s from St. Louis and said, hey, I loved one of your songs. Would you mind if we tweaked it? Kind of uh, not rewrote it, but you know, kind of mm-hmm. changed it around a little bit. And it was called Kentucky Home. And we did that, put it into our rotation, and it was becoming our most requested song. Wow. And then we were we had some stuff we were trying to lay down and that was all kinda happening when the this thing opportunity was circuit. And they were like, No, make a decision now. So did and March first, nineteen ninety nine was living in New York City. Wow. Do you do you, you look back, you feel like you do that same decision yes. every time? Absolutely. Fantastic. It's the greatest city on the planet, man. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but then you went to Circuit City, moved you here, but then you went to their rival. Best Buy. <laughs> the men in blue. The I tables turned. I hated them. The tables turned. Yeah. Well, I remember at Circuit, man, it was the flagship store, and we were doing um, all kind of stuff. We did some. Where was it? What part of town was it in? It was Union Square. Oh, okay. The Where the Best City Buy store is now. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was my store, Circuit City. We had that store first, damn it. <laughs> I ruined it for them. <laughs> So yeah. you, you went to uh, Best Buy. Was it an amicable split or was it? Uh, uh, it's Circuit. I kind of had a feeling the company wasn't wasn't doing very well. The company right. actually was still making money, but yeah. we got the opportunity to kind of be in the front of what was coming, and there wasn't much coming. So right, <laughs> I remember right. telling my wife, I was like, I don't feel real good about kind of where we are. Like, I don't think we're going to go out of business in the next five years, but I don't think the long-term plan looks good. And by this time, Best Buy had passed Circuit City, surpassed them, was just crushing them. You know, and uh, turns out it was the right move. Obviously, Circuit was around for a few more years, but... Yeah. So I got out while the getting was good. Yeah. You're, yeah. You you were training at uh, for, for your job at Best Buy, right, when, when 9-11 happened? Hired on uh, September 1st, 2001. Wow. And we lived four blocks in the World Trade Center. So we lived uh, uh, Battery Park, Tribeca, uh-huh. Chamber Street, yeah. not, not far from the World Trade Center. And my wife works just south of the World Trade Center. Oh, shit. So she would cut. She still works there, too. Oh, wow. Uh, so wow. Right on the yeah, other side. Yeah, 120 Broadway. So she would cut through there every day. And I was at a new hire meeting on Long Island filling out my HR paperwork for Best Buy when the planes hit. Holy cow. And, uh, Where was she? Where was your wife? Uh, I, she was running late that day. Thank Ironically, God. it was running a little late. Yeah. Uh, our view from our window, uh, 16th floor, was the World Trade Center. Oh, uh, yeah. Wow. We next, I don't have it with me. We'll have some drinks at the bar. I'll show you some pictures she took. Yeah. And uh, not pictures that... I think it's one of those things, like, what do you do when it happens? People tend to take pictures. Yeah, of you know course. what I mean? Like, yeah, you're just yeah. devastated. Oh, there's tons. Yeah, there's tons but of yeah, videos. We, and, I mean, uh, several, 
it's like homemade homemade ones yeah it was just devastating i mean many people uh in our i think there were several many people a few people in our building that passed away oh my god uh, they worked they because they all they all worked at wall street they all right. worked there they all lived and worked there did, it was um, awful did wow. you did you have to like go live so, i mean they they didn't you couldn't stay in your apartment we right? were out for 16 days um then we were let in after 16 days and the first nine months our building was in ground zero so right. keep it on the original ground zero was like they kept moving Several the boundaries blocks. in. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. You clear the debris. Yeah. So yeah, I had, God. A, had a Missouri license and uh, which didn't go over. We had to go through two oh, military yeah. checkpoints. Oh my God! Two yeah. military checkpoints to get home every that. night. Yeah. So I had to have a letter from my employer, uh, my rent bill. I carried my my rent bill, a letter from my employer, uh, an electric and gas bill that I would show those the military guys, you know, to get back home. Right. Man, wow, fucking with, insane, man. With the same, you know, those, with, those, those are the with a Missouri like, driver's license, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> <Those> yeah. <laughs> on a town or <laughs> I swear I live here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are the stories you don't like. You know, you think you've heard every like possible angle of the 9/11 story, but like you, no, I didn't even crazy. think about. Yeah, think about, my like, wife was so lucky that day, guys. Yeah, and, man, and she would um, she was so incredibly fortunate. She just yeah. saw some horrific things. And, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't think we're very sometimes comfortable talking about it um, because our story kind of pales in comparison to. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, does that yeah, seem yeah. weird for a yeah. while? We, you almost seem guilty because right. so many people really suffered. Yeah, uh, the and, survivors and, and guilt. lost lives. Yeah, yeah, for sure. She, yeah. she was incredibly lucky. Um. Yeah. Well, glad glad you both were. Thank you. Yeah, uh, man. Yeah, yeah. That very thankful for that. Um, Gary, I hate to end on. That. <laughs> 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 I initially, I initially had, wrong, I initially, dude. I initially had, uh, you know, questions uh, that I moved to the top. Now I'm like, man, I should have left. I'm those. sorry. I'm I should have left. I should have left. Another rock and roll story. I get hyped up, man. I just, you know. No, it's all right. And man. I haven't talked about some of this shit in years. Yeah, Thank yeah, you yeah. for letting me kind of. Yeah. Of Go course. back in time, man. Where, hey, where can uh, uh, the, you got your Instagram account, uh, yep. Moonlight Mile, right? Yep. I, so for a while, I didn't realize that was just you. Oh, it's that me. was your yeah, yeah. I was like, I would like <laughs> message the account, like, when are you guys? Hey, when are you, are you guys gonna be open? Because like thinking it was like a yeah, yeah. I think it was like a, <laughs> no, yeah, someone, yeah. and uh, are you guys gonna be open at this time on this day? I was thinking about having a birthday party. And you're like, hey, brother man, and I'm like, well, that sure sounds like Gary talking to me. I guess he doesn't have a personal account. I guess this is just him. So, I enjoy doing uh, it. And I'll tell you that the personalization of it I think matters man. oh for sure the, la- yeah, like, the language is me for better or for worse yeah. it's me yeah. <laughs> it's like Polly G yeah you, and, Poly, you and Polly G run it the same way and it's, it just makes it so much more organic and worth following because you're like you don't feel like you're just following something that you're being advertised to all the time it's not an influencer you've paid money to to take right. a snapshot yeah, right. of something it yeah. doesn't sound like you it's no it's more really genuine you. I like Talk that it, better so uh, but anyway so that's it right That would that be the only yeah uh, the Moonlight Mile GPT and go go to Moonlight Mile I'm still on Facebook too damn it okay alright you can find it, I don't know, I don't as long as my mom's on Facebook, I'm on there, okay? <laughs> that, that's the deal breaker there. All right. I, I'm still on there, too. <laughs> I think we're the only ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just so you guys. Under the age you of guys, 60. You guys, yeah, exactly. you guys and your parents, I think. Yeah. That's it. Uh, well, Gary, thank you so much again, man. Really appreciate no, thanks, you being guys. here. All right, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me, yeah, man. Yeah, thanks. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Talking Schmidt is recorded at Burmeister Studios in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Opening music is by Greg Burmeister. Closing music is by Dave Hill, friend of the pod. Our intern is Jason Travis. If you like what you've heard, please like, follow, and write a review for us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you didn't like it, please keep listening to it. 
but keep your opinions to yourself. If you really liked it, you can find bonus episodes over on our Talking Schmidt Patreon page. Membership is just $5 per month, and it goes a long way to buy us the equipment and bourbon we need. Thanks in advance, and hope you're doing great.